Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Episode 18. I'm Mike Calandrillo. He is Maurice Moten. And we do have a jam-packed show today. We're going to talk NBA Finals tonight being Game 6 from Cleveland. We're going to throw in some hockey, which we don't do very often, but the Stanley Cup Finals just wrapped up. We've got a ton in terms of the world of Major League Baseball and uh, even some NFL notes. But before we do that, of course, we have to uh, we have to talk about what happened, the tragedy here in Orlando. And for all that don't know, half of the Mike and Mo show does take place out of Orlando, uh, just on the outskirts, actually, in Oviedo, Florida, um, is where I am. And Mo is obviously uh, in New York and Brooklyn. So we do this show, you know, simulcast from two different coasts. But uh, it was uh, it was something that when it hits you so close to home and it's in your own backyard, it's it's unlike anything else. And, you know, for the people that, that went through 9-11, that lived in the city, and, and for the people of France, whenever you go through something such at such a magnitude, you really do, it really does come at you at, on a total different plane. Uh, it affects you... Not I don't want to say anything more than anyone else, but it's just it's just different when you get up and and it and everybody you know and everybody you 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 work with and you talk to has some sort of connection to exactly what went down. Uh, it's it's been tough here in Orlando. Uh, you know the grieving is is starting to subside and starting to see a lot a lot of angry people at this time. You know it's uh, I guess it's the seven stages of grief. Uh, and you know a lot of a lot of. Uh, questions obviously but there is a lot of community and as you've seen you know i'm sure on social media and in the news and and president obama being in orlando today and going to the dr phillips center for you know vigil and to uh comfort the families of of those affected it does it does affect this community and it will bring us back and stronger than ever and it's unfortunate that it takes a tragedy sometimes to do that but it really is something special when a community does rally around people regardless of what your beliefs might be uh even heck chick-fil-a who isn't open on sundays as a super christian company decided that their store on university boulevard by the university of central florida would open on sunday just to make chicken sandwiches and brew iced tea to bring down to the post memorial and things like that are are what is really important and what needs to be something that is taken out uh, if there is any positive uh something like that needs to come out of this because there's uh, in such a dark time uh to see people rise up to see good people and people that aren't afraid to speak the truth is really what what is needed to to help bring some kind of comfort to everyone, and that's why we're doing this show in the honor of all the victims and all the people that have any kind of impact or or just a a, a pleasant thought uh, about the people in Orlando, so that we can bring some kind of comfort to everyone. And if it's in just an hour and a half that you can let your 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 brain take a mental breather, then that's what we want to do for you today. Yeah, Mike just said it all there. Um... His sister, his talented sister, is actually doing a concert on June twenty second. So if you got, if anyone listening to the show is in the area, please attend. They have a separate page for it, and you can just kind of search it out. Um, I can give you the further details on that, being that it is it is his family tree. I'll let him speak more on that if he if he chooses to. But I, what I wanted to add to this is uh, basically we all just need to just sit back and just breathe a little bit. People outside of Orlando. Of course, when you when you look at things from a big scope, people have their narratives, people have their ideas of what's happening, and a lot of it revolves around these 
I'll say it, silly conspiracy theories. And I, I'll just say one thing about it without getting too in-depth because this is a sports show. Please, if you are outside of the Orlando area and you have a narrative, I, you know, you, I ask you, you should always go to the point of where things are happening before you have a preconceived notion or idea of what's going on because there are people across the U.S., across the country with their opinions on this doesn't seem right. That doesn't fit the story. Why is this this way? Why? I mean, if you're that interested in what's going on, go there and find out what's going on. If if you don't have a care of what what's going on behind the scenes, maybe you want to you know donate blood because the people out there need blood. Apparently, they need some uh, O type blood people and I believe AB type. So if you if you're out there, if you really want to get involved. Instead of contributing conspiracy theories and twisting stories and using your Facebook or social media account to, for likes, just because you have a narrative you want to get out there, why don't we just help people? Because that's that's the main thing. That's what we should be doing instead of tearing other people down. Whether these people are part of the LGBTQ community or not, these are humans that were gunned down unceremoniously and unrightfully so. So, again, we just need to sit back and help each other. One of the victims actually lived... 10 minutes from where I, I, I am right now in Brooklyn, New York. Mike just said that we simulcast a show. He's in one location. He Obviously, he's in Orlando. I'm in Brooklyn. But a mother was on the news a couple of days ago, and her son was actually in the club or, I guess, around the club, and he was one of the victims. And it touches people not only in Orlando, but their families, of course. And their families are spread across the world from Puerto Rico, other Hispanic countries out there, and even as I said, in Brooklyn, New York. So please, instead of contributing your your narrative that you've held on to so tightly to prove your point, give the people in Orlando some help. Absolutely. The, it, it's really true. It does spread nationwide. And, and like Mo said, for anyone that is going to be in the Orlando area, uh, my sister Loren will be doing a show. All the proceeds from the show are going to uh, a fantastic charity that will only and every dollar that comes in will benefit the victims of uh, of this terrorist uh, action that took place last week. So if you uh, if you're in the, if you're in town next week, it's actually going to be at Tazar Lounge. Uh, it's downtown. I believe it's on Lake Eola. You can Google it just to be sure. Um, and yeah, to find out more about it, just go to ReverbNation.com. Type in Loren. That's L apostrophe R E N. It's going to have all the information. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful cause. It's going to be a great night. Lauren will be headlining the show. Lauren is. Her real name, Loren, is her stage name for anybody that is curious about that. I just know her as my sister. But regardless, come on out, listen to some great music, uh, be around some some wonderful people here in the Orlando community that are looking to make a positive uh, difference. And um, yeah, again, it's music. Everybody, almost everyone, but most of the people that were involved in that horrific event were, were in the arts. They were dancers, they were singers, they were models, they, they were makeup artists. Whatever it was, many people there uh, are affected and and felt for the arts. So, you know, if we can give back one night to to people that, you know, kind of need it right now through through music and through just entertainment of any kind, then uh then come on out, let's have a good time. And uh yeah, meet me and uh I'll tell you I'll tell you everything you want to know about Mo. <laughs> All the good things, obviously. Absolutely. Nothing, nothing shady. No. <laughs> but uh transitioning this back to a bit of a sports topic, Jalen and Jacoby actually well actually Jacoby was rummaging through Reddit and he saw a good suggestion for this situation and he said why the NBA should or why not move the All-Star game in 2017 from Charlotte to Orlando. For those of you not in the know, Charlotte has 
doesn't have anti-discrimination laws against the LGBTQ community, and they passed a bill that was already in circulation, but it became uh, just a bill that people had to abide by in March 2016, a couple of months ago. So basically, there's a lot of things going on online, and Jacoby was able to find this good suggestion of moving the All-Star Game in Orlando, which I think is a great idea to kind of, uh, again, obviously it'll be a year later, and you know things will be a lot different, and all the ill feelings will subside, but it's just a good gesture for the NBA to, to make a stance on certain things and to say, hey, we stand with people whether they share our views or not. And this this is the same bill that was passed, I believe it was last year, or the year, year and a half ago in Indiana. So this is a bill that, uh, and recently it was actually uh, voted down in the state of Georgia, luckily. So this is something that, you know, it's becoming it's becoming more prevalent as the months and years go on. And and yeah, and again, this is this was a, an attack directed at, at people of a certain lifestyle. And whether you agree with it or not, people died. And, and the NBA, being such a, a major force in the entertainment industry, needs to look the right way and needs to kind of shun the fact that a, a place like North Carolina doesn't want to treat these people a certain way. And, and that's not right. That's not the way it should be. So honoring a city like Orlando, not just because I'm here, but it had it had the NBA All-Star Game a couple of years ago. It was fantastic. It was a wonderful, wonderful event. It puts money into the city. And why not give it to a place that really, really could use it? And and going back on that, it's it's funny because the DeVos family, which owns the Orlando Magic and has owned them since day one of their, you know, inauguration, has, has they're kind of a, a very... Um, how do I say this? They they don't necessarily agree with all the ways of, of, of certain ways of people live, and they're very strict because they're a very religious type of family. But even they have donated money, and they even allowed the LGBT community to. Uh, they, if you saw, they recently came out with a line of NBA shirts, and every team has uh, the rainbow colors, and all the money for that is going to be donated to to the Orlando Foundation as well. So for you know for somebody that it doesn't necessarily agree with it. Uh, for a family that owns a business to put their feelings aside because it's bigger than them is huge. And that's why this is such an important thing that was brought up by Jalen Jacoby. And again, they even said it uh, on their little clip. You can see on ESPN.com. They're glad that they could use their platform for some good instead of just always, you know, talking about the negative in sports. This is something that, you know, shines a positive light on everybody involved. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, and it trickles down to people now. We all have these platforms, and people talk about people or make fun of other people. With you have all these followers, what does that mean? Well, when you have people who who follow your social media accounts and you have an audience, use that audience for good. Don't use the audience to poke fun at tragedies or things that happen in the world or to mislead people with information that you don't know is true or not. Again, I spoke about these conspiracy theories. Make it clear between a fake news article and a real news article because there's nothing else that pees me more as a writer is someone who gets on Facebook and posts fake news from sat these satire websites, these websites that are hungry for clicks. This is real news. This is real tragedy. Do not make light of it. Check your sources. I know we're not all journalists, but if you have a following, you should be responsible for the information you put out on the internet because there are people out there who aren't internet savvy and they just believe everything they see online. Which again, not all these facts are true. Not all these articles are true. Some of them are created again just to just to create outrage, just to stir controversy, and it's not healthy for for our society. And as Mike said. You ha even if you don't agree with the LGBTQ community's views, 
as a one as a wise man once said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So just because there aren't your views, this doesn't mean that horrible things cannot happen to your community or things that you believe in. So please, again, I say this again for the millionth time in this short opening segment. Support your fellow citizens. Support other people in need because at at a time, you're probably going to need help in your life too. And as we all have needed help in our lives. Absolutely. No, it's very true. And, you know, we, I've seen things in the recent days where people don't agree with the pray for Orlando uh, hashtag or, you know, the saying that basically everyone uses whenever there's a tragedy. Whether you're whether you're a religious person or not, it, uh, no matter what you are, if you're an atheist, it doesn't matter. Someone even posted, well, I, I don't believe in, in a higher power, so I, why should I pray? Well, that's not what it's about. Again, it's not about you. And someone else even posted, you know, I'm an atheist, so I'm just going to think on it. And that's fine. Okay, do what you want to do. But at the end of the day, if someone believes in something and believes that praying will help a situation, don't take that away from them. And if you are whatever you are and don't believe in a higher power, that's up to you. But instead of just thinking about it, go out and do something. Like Mo said, give blood. Be compassionate to someone. These are fellow human beings. They're made of the same thing that you and I are. Okay, blood, sweat, tears, all the stuff inside is the same thing. So go out and make a difference. Just, I don't, I'm just one, I, if you want to think about it, you're, that's fine. But you know what? Thinking and doing need to coincide. Thinking is fine, but p- making an action, going out and making a positive reinforcement or change in the world today is something that's bigger, whether you're Christian, Muslim, Jewish, it doesn't matter. If you're green, orange, blue, black, white, Asian, it's whatever. Just be better. And that's, that's really what it is. Be a better person and, and pass it on. You know, it should not be that hard, but in 2016, it really is. So let's just hope that from now on, we don't have to do these things. Uh, unfortunately, it's easier said than done. Something would have to change um, for, for this not to happen again, whether you think it's gun laws or you, you think it's freedom of speech, whatever it is, uh, get involved, try to make a difference. Elections are coming up soon. Watch, watch the debates. Get involved. Don't just sit there and think, well, my vote doesn't count because it does, okay? So everything you do as a citizen or, or a person of this planet makes a difference, okay? Now, I know this uh, tragedy, this recent tragedy, isn't on the same scale as 9-11, but it's not about volume of deaths or, or scale or who did what. As Mike just said, let's just help each other. You know, you, you, you don't have to do much. If, if it's a prayer, if it's donating blood, if it's visiting the community, just asking questions, follow your urge and just please do it. But uh, that's it for the opening segment. We'll come back in and we'll touch on the NBA Finals game, game six tonight between the Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors. Open mic. Well, tonight, Thursday night, could be the night that we have a champion. Could it be a two-time champion? Or could LeBron and company, maybe not Kevin Love, but LeBron and company, could he force a Game 7 back in the Oracle Arena? Now, before we get to what Mo and I think, we got to touch upon what the heck is going on on both sides of the ball. So, Mo, should we focus on the negative or the positive first? 
We should start with the negative first, get it out of the way, because I, I have an idea where this is going. Okay. Let's, yes, let's start with the negative. Okay. Uh, so I guess you really can't look any further than Kevin Love or the oh, gosh. or the what, absence. Before you, before you even start, what did I say last week before we went off the air and you ran off to North Dakota? <laughs> I say when we get back on the show, uh-huh. we're gonna be we're gonna be banging on Kevin Love. Yeah. He's not in a way he whether he played whether he played or not. He's in a bad situation. And where are we now? Kevin Love. We're talking about yeah. all of these trades for Kevin Love. 20 different teams interested in Kevin Love. LeBron James doesn't like Kevin Love. They showed a meme where Kevin Love wanted a high five and LeBron just yelled <laughs> at him. We're, we're doing all this now. And, and whether the Cavs win this series or not, and if they do win this series, it will be a great feat because they'll be the first team ever to come back 3-1 in the NBA Finals. Yeah. We'll still kill Kevin Love, even if, even if he scores twenty points in the next two games. But yeah, go ahead, Mike. no, no, I actually, I actually want to defend Kevin Love to a certain extent. I realize that you know he only has seven points, four point eight rebounds, and point six assists, while shooting thirty seven percent from the field for these finals. But the fact is that he was he played thirty three minutes last game. He was still on the court. I know he only had what was it three points, but his presence still made a difference. Maybe not in the point or rebound, or assist category, but he's still somebody that has the potential to score 16 points like he did a few games ago. He still has, he's still a big body. He still has to take a defender away and allow Kyrie and LeBron open room, and that's exactly what he did. And even though he didn't, wasn't necessarily potent from the field, his presence, and unlike the game before, was on the court, which allowed Kyrie and LeBron to score 41 points, which was pretty fantastic because Kyrie became only the second player behind Wilt the Still Chamberlain to score 40-plus while shooting 70% in a finals game. So I'm not going to bang on Kevin because you know what? He could come out tonight and he could drop 25 and 10 boards and play like the Kevin of Love of Minnesota days. Now, uh, you know, you probably saw that GoFundMe page too that, you know, people are actually wanting to give money to Tyron Lue to sit him, which, again... I think it's I think it's ridiculous, but again, these are people, and I don't understand. I don't understand how you bang on someone if you're a Cleveland fan. You need him to play. You you need him on in the lineup. So Channing Fry hasn't played either. He I think he had three shots last game. You really think Channing Fry is a better option at this point in his career than Kevin Love? Draymond Green is going to play the five because of the loss of Andrew Bogut for the rest of the season. Uh, so why would you want to take Kevin Love out of the equation altogether? They're going to be much quicker. They're going to be much faster. I don't get it. You, you got Mike. When I when I come to understand in my time of covering sports, any sports team, you name it, there's always one guy who's untouchable, and there's always on the other side of the spectrum that one guy who's the scapegoat for everything. Anytime you know the team follies or screws up something, he is he's the fall guy. He is the Chris Carter fall guy, and that's what Kevin Love is right now. And Bosch had the same role with Miami, and I told people this before that Bosch is an all-around better player than Kevin Love, but it doesn't mean I'm down on Love. It just means that you people are overreacting to the whole <laughs> Kevin Love situation. I mean, do, do the Cavaliers win the amount of games that they win or or go undefeated in the first couple of rounds without Kevin Love in the lineup? No. Eh, I don't know. But these rumors about Kevin Love, oh, Kevin Love should be traded for Melo, and I I absolutely hate that trade scenario dream because only because if you have Kristaps Porzingis already playing the four, you do not want Kevin Love playing the five, or even if it's a flip-flop. The Knicks do not need Kevin Love, so let's nix that right now. Kevin Love for Melo, 
should not and will not happen. But back to the Cavalier situation. I feel bad for Love because it's it's in a big moment. He's been benched. He's missed a game. So not only is he not performing, he's also labeled soft and useless. So keep the Cavaliers, if they lose this series, if they lose tonight, it'll be because Kevin Love didn't show up in a big moment. And it'll also be because LeBron James is still a bump, which, again, I don't understand. LeBron James is averaging 28 points, 12 boards, 8 assists, 2.4 steals, 2 blocks a game. Who else do you know is averaging that in the NBA Finals? I don't know anyone right now. If you can think of it, pass the name to me. But LeBron James is playing out of out of body, out of mind right now. He got help from Kyrie Irving. It is only the second time that LeBron James has had a partner, a teammate, score 40-plus points in the game. So that tells you a lot about the help that LeBron James has had around him in his career. And when he finally got it, the Cavs completely blew out the Golden State Warriors on their home court. Yes, they didn't have Draymond Green, but who knows, with the way Kyrie was shooting the ball, with Draymond Green on the floor, maybe the Golden State Warriors may have still lost that game. Oh, I definitely think so. I, I just, I mean, when Klay Thompson's on, Klay Thompson's on. When Kyrie was on like he was the other night, you can't stop this guy. I mean, he literally was making every shot almost that he put up. Him and LeBron assisted or scored on 97 of the Cavs 112 points. I, that is insane. I mean, what was what was Draymond going to do? Was he going to cover LeBron? No. Was he going to cover Kyrie? Hell no. He would not have been on either of those guys, especially once Bogot went out. He would have been down low playing the five. So he would not. Yes, yes, he would be in the middle of the lane ready to throw a foot or a karate kick at somebody's genitalia. <laughs> But that's neither here nor there because he was suspended. And I am so sick of people saying that the NBA purposely suspended this guy because they wanted this to go seven games. First of all, if Golden State is good as everyone says, they don't need Draymond. Well, clearly, according to Steve Kerr and his teammates, they do. Secondly, he got away with this far too long. He kicked Steven... uh, What's his name? He kicked... Steve, he kicked Steven Adams, was it two or three times in the last round? He did it in the second round. This guy is purposely trying to do whatever, I don't know, manhandle other team, other players, and he's gotten away with it. So he got caught aware. He got caught red-handed. He finally got suspended for a game. Some people were saying it should have been two. No, you can't go back and suspend somebody for things that were already done but never never accosted of so it was right now the big thing is is tonight if he comes out and he's baited say dante jones or or somebody else that never sees the the, the floor comes out and can get draymond to do something stupid unfortunately the fouls don't reset in the playoffs so it's it's a big positive that he gets suspended for game seven but look this is on draymond he's a big boy he's been in the nba a little while now he knows the rules of the game you can't flop around and throw your extremities at people and think you're going to get away with it. Not when it's as visible as it was that night on LeBron, regardless of what you think LeBron may or may not have done with his genitalia on somebody else's head. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> uh, you kind of left me in the corner there, but uh, <laughs> people have compared Draymond Green to a more talented Dennis Rodman, and I kind of see the comparison only because Draymond Green comes in the game and he's in there to agitate. And you see it with LeBron. He called LeBron a name that rhymes with rich. 
we'll say it on air, but um, that's what started the whole beef in the beginning. LeBron said he doesn't mind competitive talk, but when it comes to personal things, he said, I have kids, I have a family, you don't call me out of my name. Basically, that's what he said at a post-game press conference. But again, Draymond's in there to agitate. That's part of what he brings to the Warriors because the Warriors, without him, are pretty, I would say, sanitized team. They don't have guys that are going to get in the opposing team's players' faces and do all these type of antics. Draymond is that guy. He's the junkyard dog. He's going to go in there, play defense, and get in your face. He's going to try to get LeBron's head. May not blow in his ear like Lance Stevenson did a couple years ago. Yeah, it was weird. But he's going to try to kick him or do whatever he can. Now, LeBron is not totally innocent here because you don't step over a guy's head. And as you said before, it kind of rushed your your genitalia on a guy's uh, <laughs> forehead. You just can't do that and think it's you're going to get away with it. But Draymond has to understand the situation and know that he's at a point where if he gets a flagrant two foul, it could have been two-game suspension. But because the refs ruled it a, a flagrant one, he got a one-game suspension. So you know the Cavs are going to be pushing to get under Draymond's screen. As you said, maybe Dante Jones, who's a known goon at this point in his career, yeah. will go in there and try to, try to poke Draymond a little bit to get a reaction out of him. He has to be able to control himself, as he hasn't been able to do, as why he's subject to a flagrant two and a two-game suspension. He needs to go in there and understand this is game six of the finals. We're looking to be a back-to-back champion, reclaim our title. He needs to keep his composure. But what another thing that kind of peeves me a little bit about the series is that if you haven't noticed, Stephen Curry hasn't played all that well throughout this entire series. Nope. And now there's creep, there, there are talks creeping up about maybe he's injured. Oh, maybe he's hurt. Well, excuse me, um, when LeBron has his bad games, no one says, well, maybe he's hurt. We need to check on LeBron's temperature. We need to check his elbow. <laughs> no, there are no excuses for LeBron. There shouldn't be excuses for the unanimous MVP of the league. Sure. Now, way back when, I said I didn't have a problem with Stephen Curry being the unanimous MVP. What I do have a problem with is when people give him excuses. Yes, he's averaging 22.2 points per game, 5.4 rebounds, 4.6 assists, but he's not the best player on his own team right now. I would give the edge to Draymond Green, especially if Draymond Green comes back and has a great game. Draymond's averaging about 15 points, almost 10 boards. He's he's, he's passing out more dimes than Stephen Curry, who is the quote-unquote point guard of the team. So, again, if, if you're going to pick an MVP, let's say the Warriors do win tonight, it would have to be Draymond Green, even if he misses a game. The Warriors, as we said, is they're a great team. It doesn't come down to one player. But you would have to give that MVP award to Draymond. Maybe if Klay Thompson has another historic game as he did in Game 6 of the last playoff series against the Thunder, maybe you give it to him. But again, if Draymond comes in and he's the difference maker and the Warriors win, you got to give it to him. But please, stop babying Stephen Curry. He's not a kid. He's having a bad series. It's not because of his elbow. It's not this. It's not that. He's just having a bad series. Again, LeBron is guarding him in a lot of these sets. Yeah. So maybe that's part of the reason why he's been stifled a bit. But, again, no excuses here for Stephen Curry or LeBron. Well, the thing is that Cleveland is guarding him correctly. I mean, they're switching fast. They're not giving Steph the time to do those behind-the-back, between-the-leg crossovers where he creates his own shot and then he hits that 27-foot fadeaway. I mean, they're just not. They're getting up. They're putting a hand in his face. And, and, and he can't shoot over anybody. That's the thing. He's six foot three. He's not going to shoot over LeBron. He's not going to shoot over, you know, three quarters of the guys in the NBA because he's just not that big. And that's fine. That's why he has to create the space for himself. But he can't do it. And that's the way teams need to guard this guy. And to the other point, as far as the MVPs are concerned, honestly, if LeBron does what he's 
been doing and continues to average 28 and they win tonight. And even if they were to lose in game seven, I think LeBron should get MVP. I mean, it, last year, it arguably could have been LeBron James in, in losing that series when he averaged over 35 points per game. So this year, if he gets to game seven, does an amazing job tonight to will his team to victory, why not? Well, because you're going to tell me his team lost. Okay, I get it. But there's not one person that necessarily should be an MVP on Golden State. It would be a collective team uh, achievement. You're absolutely right about that, but as you briefly mentioned, if they didn't give it to LeBron last year, and he was totally insane. He had 40 points out of multiple games in that series last year. If they didn't give it to him last year, they're not going to give it to him this year because, as you know, that MVP vote is for the winning team. People dispute this. Most valuable player, what does it mean? Should we change the title? Whatever. If you're going to keep it MVP, NBA Finals MVP, Give it, give it. If you're gonna give it to the winning team, at least give it to the best player on that team. Don't give it to Curry just because he won unanimous of the regular season. Give it to the most important player on that squad. And as I said, if Clay Thompson goes off tonight, he's the, he would probably be a, a prime candidate to get that award. Or Draymond Green if he has a close to a triple double or even a double double. What I will touch on also is, and I texted you this midway through the last game is Harrison Barnes. Is he really a max player? I know people spoke about him going to the Lakers and he deserves a max deal. I didn't see it. When Draymond Green was out, he needed to step up. I know Andre Iguodala went into the starting lineup, but Harrison Barnes, he was cold throughout the whole game. He didn't step up in a big moment. I I don't see him as a max player. He could probably be the second or third best person on your team, but he's probably going to get the max deal this summer, but I just don't think he deserves it. I'm not against people getting their money. Harrison Barnes, go get your cash. But teams need to understand that this guy is not a max player. Don't expect rainbows and, and, and the whole nine from this guy. He's going to give you a solid effort every night on both ends of the court, but he's not a transitional. He's not a transcendent player. Yeah, to twist the words of Denny Green, the former coach of the Cardinals, he is who we thought he is, okay? It's just, he is who he is. I mean, he plays good defense. He gets hot sometimes from behind the arc. He can dribble, drive, and shoot. He's like a 14-point night a guy. I mean, maybe he's worth 10, 12 million per year, but anything more than that, and I know the CBA is going up and the cap and all that, it just kind of seems like he's robbing the bank. But like you said, there's plenty of desperate teams so according to that, let's play a new game called Where in the World Will Jimmy Butler Land? And that seems to be up to de- up for debate. Now, reports came out earlier in the week that the Celtics were trying really, 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 really hard to deal the third overall pick to the Bulls for Jimmy Butler. Um, okay, so then we fast forward to about two days ago, and it seems like Tibbs, my man, Tom Thibodeau in Minnesota, wants his former small forward back and is willing to trade the number five pick. Now, it doesn't take a math major to decide which of those picks is better. But, Mo, I've got a couple reasons of why it doesn't work, especially for Minnesota. Where do you think Jimmy Butler fits in better? I think he fits better in Boston. I think the better situation for him is in Boston because if you look at it, you stay in the Eastern Conference, your only real competitor is LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. If you go to Minnesota, you have a 
great young team over there, but you got a lot more obstacles to go through. You got Golden State, you got the Thunder. If they keep Kevin Durant, the Clippers are still out there. Other teams trying to improve their their status. There's a lot less competition out east. You stay in Boston. Boston already had a had a nice run with with minimal talent. Basically, their best player this year is probably Isaiah Thomas, yeah. who's a five foot nine point guard who came off the bench to start the year. So why would you not want to go to Boston? Be a starter there and have a chance to go to the Eastern Conference Finals once you get there. If you go to Minnesota, it may take you a year or two even just to get to the semifinals out there. So for Jimmy Butler, you you can go to Minnesota and reunite with your former coach who who ran down your kneecaps. (laughs) Or you can go to Boston and and Brad Stevens is out there coaching a good team with minimal talent and you can get the most out of your out of your NBA career and possibly again play for the Eastern Conference title against the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2017. Very true, um, and we'll see. I don't think I don't think Boston. Okay, let's put it this way: the number three pick is fine, but if you're willing to trade the number three pick, you obviously don't value it very much. So if you are the Bulls, you're going to want the third pick and then something. And unfortunately, the Celtics are going to have to give up a couple other picks then because they don't really have the players. Uh, we'll see what's going to happen with Evan Turner, Jared Sullinger as well. They don't really have many pieces that anybody super values, although he would fit better on that team uh, than the Wolves. I think more likely you're going to see the Celtics dangle a pick to either Philly for Okafor, especially that three, or they might even go after the guy they've been going after, like Bomani Jones said, since 1982. They've been trying to get Kevin Love, okay? They've been trying to get Kevin Love forever. I don't know why, but I think Kevin Love is will be more effective if he is a two or like a one b option he can't play the he can't play the third fiddle for whatever reason it doesn't work with his personality when you think back to that guy's time in minnesota when he was a double double machine actually averaged a double 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 per game uh it's really really impressive i mean the first guy since the likes of like oscar robinson so that, i mean that's that's going back a ways now as far as jimmy butler to the the wolves that doesn't make sense to me at all because they have Andrew Wiggins. And you stole Andrew Wiggins as it is right now from Cleveland for Kevin Love. And the Bulls obviously would want a small forward in return, Andrew Wiggins, but the Wolves don't want to give him up. So you cannot you cannot play Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler in the same rotation because they're very similar. Actually, Jimmy Butler may shoot a little worse than Andrew Wiggins does, even though, of course, we know the defense by Jimmy Butler is phenomenal but again you can't those two guys on the court don't work because there's just not enough shooting you're gonna put those guys with ricky rubio who may be the worst shooter at evolve your best shooter on the floor could be carl anthony towns okay and he's your center so that rotation a trade like that where you could possibly have to give up a ricky rubio or 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 uh andrew wiggins or something else gorgie dang could set this team back years and just when you're getting to the point where you're you've got momentum and people are talking about you you make a trade like this for a guy with bad knees it could be so bad so detrimental to a team that is on the come up mike i had the wheels spinning while you were talking okay. and i just thought about a super team in boston hear me out All follow right. me on this one okay okay follow me here because there's a lot going on All right? right let's say that the Celtics have enough to entice Conley and Noah to come to Boston, which then entices 
Butler to say, hey, maybe, you know, maybe Boston is a better spot. And Boston actually pulls off a trade with the Chicago Bulls and brings Butler Butler over to Boston. Then Durant sees this and oh, says, hmm, Noah is like my Steven Adams. I got Conley who doesn't who doesn't want to score the ball all the time like Westbrook. And I have Butler who plays both sides of the court. I'm going to go to Boston. So not only do you have a big three, but then you have Noah the enforcer in the middle. Boston blows up the team and unites these guys, and they win a championship in Boston over the Golden State Warriors in 2017. <laughs> How's it sound, Mike? Uh, all right, I have a question. Is uh, Does that have Boston keeping Isaiah Thomas, or is he traded to Chicago? He's probably going to get traded, because yeah. if you think about it, Conley's going to be a starting point guard, and Isaiah Thomas is going to say, well, I was an all-star. I shouldn't be coming off the bench. Sure. But we say goodbye. We bring in Conley, who's a pass-first point guard, who's going to distribute the ball to Durant and Butler on the offensive side. And as I said, Butler plays really good on-ball defense, especially on the perimeter. And then you have Noah inside as a rim protector playing defense inside. It's a great team. Danny Ainge used to give me a call. Hire me. I can get Boston into the NBA Finals real quick. That'd be fine. But unfortunately, I, as the New York Knicks assistant GM, just signed Mike Conley to a four-year <laughs> max deal. So that that won't go down. Sorry to burst your bubble, Maurice Moe. Yeah, I... I, I know you have like this Superman crush on yep. Mike Conley. You he's have visions like, of him coming to New York, even though I don't think he's coming to New York. Yeah. I think he either resigns. I think he probably resigns with the Grizzlies, even though they say he's contemplating. But I don't think he leaves Powell, Powell, Marcus Gasol out there in Memphis that easily, especially for a New York team who's running this mysterious triangle. Jeff Hornacek is saddled with running this offense through for the near future. So I think Conley stays in Memphis. If he doesn't stay in Memphis. He thinks about Boston because Boston could have something going with all those draft picks. They should be able to pull something off. I don't know because uh, Memphis reportedly has to get Justin Timberlake to do a pitch video to Mike Conley. So I think they're getting a little desperate uh, pulling out JT, who, you know, I love. But let's be honest, he owns like a point and a half percent of the Grizzlies. And you're pulling out JT to, to make a video uh, asking Mike Conley to stay. It could be a little tricky, but regardless... You, you- you better pull out P. Diddy or something. You pull out Justin oh. Timberlake? You pull out Unless P- that's Michael Conley's thing. <laughs> my, my apologies, but hey, you need to pull out something bigger than that. It could be. No, you better pull out Michael Jackson to keep me in Memphis. But regardless... <laughs> Regardless, word is that Ben Simmons, you know, Moe's man crush, uh, does not want to work out for the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, is this an Eli Manning situation? Or is just just Ben Simmons being Ben Simmons? And by that, I mean he's a little bit of a prima donna. Now, he is not a prima donna. I mm. mean, people didn't call John Elway a prima donna. They, they, they did, they, actually. Actually, they did. I, yeah. They, yeah. I, they did all well. You know You know what I say? Oh, I'd be sorry for these teams. Like, I hope it turns these teams off from tanking because these players are realizing that these teams are just out here tanking seasons to get number one draft picks and you're wasting these players' careers. Albeit, I know these NBA players have longer careers than NFL players. But still, if you if you look at a team that has a number one pick and you're probably you're the presumptive number one pick in the draft, and you look at this team and you see their direction, I know they've changed, the Sixers have changed things in their front office. But he doesn't see a future there. He obviously doesn't want to go there. It's the Jalil Okafor effect where he's like, I don't want to go to Philly. So I'm not going to work out for Philly. I, apparently, he's not going to work out for any teams, and I don't see why he should if he's already the presenter's number one pick. It can only hurt you at this point because you're going to have coaches nitpicking you and saying, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. We already know his weaknesses. We already know he can't shoot. We already <laughs> know he's a good passer. We already know he has a, a NBA. he's going to have an NBA-sized body. 
there's no benefit for Ben Simmons actually working out for the Sixers or any other team for that matter. So I'm not mad at Ben Simmons. But again, back to my point about him not wanting to play for the 76ers, I hope this discourages teams from saying, we can take and get the number one pick and he'll play for us automatically. Nope. Some of these players actually have feelings. It's not all about the money. They have preferences. He, ben Simmons obviously wants to play for the Lakers, and he's made that known, either subliminally or not. He has his Nike deal. He wants to be in a big market, and the 76ers just won't put him on that pedestal as a star in his rookie year. So good for Ben Simmons. I clap for him. Don't work out. Let the Sixers sweat it out, and maybe they'll go elsewhere with their, their silly plans to uplift the team and Ben Simmons gets what he wants. I'm always in favor of the player getting some leeway because these organizations, they do some shady things as well. Well, the one place it looks like the Sixers won't be going is with Kentucky point guard Tyler Eulis. <laughs> now, he is five foot nine, which is most size, give or take a couple of inches. But word comes is that he has a pretty significant hip injury, which could lead to surgery which could lead him to fall, fall, fall down the draft board. Um, that's pretty bad because you're a five foot nine point guard to begin with. I realize that you you averaged 17 points and seven assists per game as a, as a sophomore at Kentucky last year. But uh, a small point guard with a bad hip that just that's a recipe for disaster. And latest mock drafts have him going anywhere from 36th all the way to 42 which obviously puts you in the second round, which puts you in a whole different tax bracket uh, come contract time. But I don't know. I don't know. If, is he really the type of guy that you take a chance on? I don't see it. As a second-round pick, sure. If I'm the Knicks and I can acquire a second-round pick for, you know, uh, $100,000 or, or 6 bucks in a, in, a, in a Hershey bar, then, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take a chance on Tyler Ulis. But Or even the team like the Magic, who have, I think it's like 42 and 44 in the second round. Yeah, sure, why not? Again, even if he doesn't play next year, the guy's got talent. You know, he's not going to get any taller, but he, he can get healthier. He can continue to grow as a player, uh, no pun intended. So, But, Mo, I don't know. I mean, does it, is, do you think it's worth taking a chance on? Uh, I wouldn't think a lottery team, but any anybody in the teens or the 20s? I think you're hating on the guy because of his stature. <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe, but I picked that up in your diction. That maybe you're hating on this guy because he's a smaller dude. Uh, yes, I know yeah. he's 5'9", about 155 pounds. I may, may weigh slightly more than him. Damn. He's Inch or two taller than me, but still, the guy averaged 17.3.7 dimes per game. A team is going to give him a chance, I would say, early, mid, second round because the hip injury, yes, it's a serious injury. You don't want to mess around your hips because it messes with your pivot and how you move the ball down the court. But, I mean, he's a young guy, he'll, he'll likely recover. People are saying, oh, late, late second round. Again, I say early second round, a team with maybe multiple pick, picks, as you said, at the Magic, they'll take a chance on him. To, just based on his college resume, Jonathan Giovanni of uh, Draft Express has him going number 34 to the Suns, which I can also see as a possibility. Another point guard to the Suns because they are the new point guard factory of the NBA. You'll play here for two yeah, years, I mean, you'll be good, and we'll trade you. So. I mean, Jeff Hornacek started that. So yeah, yeah, he did. I let's, get you. Let's hope he can <laughs> no, start it in New York. Bring, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe, he makes, maybe the Knicks make a trade and they bring you to the Knicks in the second round. Uh, no, I want Bledsoe or I want Knight. I don't want, I don't want Ulis. Not no. You, you're, you're aiming pretty high. I Beggars know. can't be choosers, my friend. I know this is true. Somebody told me the other night, you guys are, and he's meaning the Knicks. He said you guys are going to be bad for a long time. And I turned around and said, really? Is that shocking? Is this news to me? I'm not surprised. <laughs> like you're telling me something I don't know. Like give me a break. 
give me a break. And this was a Heat fan. Like, I was like, you know what? Worry about your own house, all right? Resign your boy Hassan Whiteside first and then talk to me, Dwayne Wade, your, your, your best scorer at 34 years old. Don't even get me started, bro. That's what I said. That was, that well, well, we're going to calm Mike down. We're yeah. going to talk happy times in the NHL with building momentum, and that's up next. It's now time for building momentum. News slid its way into the Mike and Mo show today. I'm not sure exactly that how that happened, but you know what? Let's let the black guy talk about hockey because he loves him some <laughs> hockey. Yeah, you know, I used to play hockey back in the day. Me and my friends would go to the skating rink and we just drop the puck and we would just go at it. No penalties, no offsides, and we would just have a great day. I don't believe that. But, uh, I don't believe that at all. Guess who's having someone's having greater days with the Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby. One, and he uh, had a moment with, I believe it's Trevor Daly, whose mom is battling cancer, and it was a special moment for him because she got to see him raise the Stanley Cup as Crosby passed the Stanley Cup over to Daly in celebration. Daly played with the Dallas Stars for 11 seasons. He spent about a half season with the Chicago Blackhawks before landing with the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was a touching moment. It was the Pittsburgh Penguins' fourth Stanley Cup in their franchise history, and congratulations to them. They won over the San Jose Sharks. My California followers on Twitter who also cheer for the Raiders won't like to hear this, but uh, yes, congratulations to the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was very classy to see Ben Roethlisberger and other sports teams in the Pittsburgh area congratulate the Penguins on their victory. Absolutely. That was very nice. And uh, it was pretty cool what uh, Daly had to say about Crosby. Uh, He said he's a great guy, but he's even a a better person. There's not much more you can say about that guy. He's special. So, you know, Crosby's always been a class act, uh, you know, really, really cool. You know, didn't have the the biggest, uh, I guess, contribution to the team. That would be reserved for the HBK line. And the only HBK I know is uh, the heartbreak kid from WWF way back when. But I guess that line is comprised of Carl Hagelin, Nick Bonino, and Phil Kessel. They scored 56 points in the postseason, including 11 during the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I mean, for you guys that know hockey, and you know we know some here at the Mike and Mo Show, that's a whole lot of points. I mean, yeah, they lost their second best scorer, Yevgeny Malkin. The wrist injury to a hockey player is uh, pretty, uh, pretty severe. So, you know, a guy like Benino to step up and to score four goals and 18 points, and Hagelin, six goals and 16 points, and Kessel, 10 goals and 22 points is just, it's insane. And you know what? That's what it's all about. It's about guys stepping up when you need it. And, uh, you know, you see that in hockey. And, you know, it's hockey's playoffs are pretty amazing. You need the speed, uh, the athleticism that these guys have. It, they, they really do go all out. And for being probably the least paid of all the major league athletes out there, uh, you know, you got to tip your hats to it. Absolutely. If you're like me, and as Mike said, I played hockey when I was a young kid. Uh, if you remember the Pittsburgh Penguins in their heydays, if you remember Mario Lemieux and Yadamir Yager, that, those were their good times in the early 90s. I remember playing the video game. I had a Wayne Gretzky hockey game, and I loved the Pittsburgh Penguins playing with those two guys. It was, it was, great. It was a great time. But uh, they're, they're on top of the world again, on top of the NHL world, and it's good to see. But uh, one point about the Crosby Daily moment, that would be kind of like, I don't know if it's on a lesser scale, but you would want to see a guy like LeBron if he won another title just to, like, maybe maybe celebrate or just give, like, a, a hand ring during the, during the ceremony to a guy like Kevin Love who's maybe catching a lot of flack. You know, it's, it's a moment where people think – when you win a championship, it's just a moment for the best player to kind of celebrate and gloat. But sometimes, as Crosby showed in his moment, that sometimes you want to uplift your teammates who may not have 
a huge contribution to the championship team or maybe had a hard time on the road to winning. But you like to see teammates come together and uplift each other, basically. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was a class act, great move, and uh, it's something that I'm sure no one will ever forget, Pittsburgh fan or not. So moving on, we're going to move on to, uh, to, Mo- to Mo's favorite baseball team. Let- let's go ahead with that, and let's talk about – do you want to talk about the really, really bad thing or, or the thing that's not going to happen? Which one do you feel like talking about, Mo? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about the really, really bad things. I know where you're going with this. Okay. And before you go into it, uh, you had a really good piece about how the Mexicans fix this, but I'll let you start off huh. with the bad news Thank and you. then your solution. Okay, the bad news is that David Wright, Mr. Met, is pretty much done for the year. Uh, he decided to take surgery on the uh, herniated disc in his neck. His timetable for return is never. Uh, well, not never, but it, we don't know. It could be never. I'm thinking it's never. But uh, unfortunately, David Wright was only batting 226, seven home runs and 14 RBIs in 37 games before landing on the disabled list. Uh, this is a shame. This is a guy that just continues to spiral. His career just hasn't been the same since he uh, you know, was diagnosed with spinal stenosis a couple years ago. Uh, and uh, he just he just can't seem to catch a break. Again, this is a guy that the Mets, you know, depend upon not not for so much his bat and athleticism, but because of that voice in the dugout in the clubhouse. And he really is a leader. And, you know, that's something that everybody has really said about this 33 year old guy. So it is a shame. And, and uh, the piece that Mo was referring to. Thank you for your kind words, by the way. I just brought up some ideas on how the Mets could go out and solidify a real third baseman. And I know they acquired Kelly Johnson most recently from the Braves, uh, who they also acquired last year uh, they just seem to have a, a rental deal with the Braves for Kelly Johnson so that's kind of a weird situation but uh, that's not it's just not going to be enough for the Mets this year uh, Washington the Washington Nationals that is seem to be running away with that division right now and I know Mo will probably give you the stat of exactly how many games it is but it's more than games it's the fact that the Nationals are just hitting on all cylinders right now um, whereas the Mets again another blow again the pitching staff Stephen Matt pitching really well but the hitting, it's it's either there or not. I mean, they scored 11 runs last night. A couple days ago, they got shut out to Jonathan Neese and the Pirates. So it's kind of crazy. But uh, hopefully for the Mets, they can get it together. And, and if you want to go read the piece, I, I, I think their best two options would be, uh, obviously, one, Nolan Arenado from the Rockies. Guy's a stud. I mean, he's in his 20, he's 25 years old, can do it all, hit 40 home runs last year. Obviously, it would take a lot to grab him from the Rockies. Or a guy like Evan Longoria, who's only 30, that is on a, uh, a black hole, as we say, on this show, in far as what team he's on. Tampa Bay is not going anywhere. Longoria's having a really nice year. He's got about 15 home runs, batting around 280. So that would be a guy that you could get for a lot cheaper if you're willing to give up a couple uh, lower, lower prospects, you know, single double-A type guys. But really, the Mets want to... You're the National League reigning champion. You've got to make a move to to solidify your lineup and to give your fans a little bit of hope because losing your captain is, is not it's not a small thing at all. Yeah, before I break down and cry yeah. about this big right surgery thing, uh, tell me what's not going to happen on, on your Mets news feed here, you guys. <laughs> Jose Reyes is not going to be a New York Met. And for you guys that remember Jose Reyes fondly from 2002 to 2011, I actually thought this would have been a good move. I know that the domestic violence um, situation revolving around him is a a sticky situation. It's a horrible thing to even be accused of or or to have happen. And he did lose $7 million this year, but who cares about the money? It's more about the man. But I thought if anybody 
could re get some kind of redemption and a perfect place for them to fit in would be a guy for like Jose Reyes to go back to New York where he found stardom uh, where, you know, obviously I think the fans would still give him a certain amount of, of, of leeway, if not respect. And he would help this team. The Mets don't have a, 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 a leadoff man. Curtis Grandison, we talked about it, is not a leadoff man. He's batting about 202. He, he struck out a thousand times so far. He's not a leadoff guy. And, and at least Jose Reyes can play short or second. Neil Walker is actually out now with some kind of weird stomach ailment. Uh, and if and when he does come back, uh, he's having a really nice year. He's got 16 home runs. Keep him at second. You can move Estrubal Cabrera to third. He has played a little third in his days with Cleveland and with Tampa Bay. And you slide in Reyes to short. Uh, again, you're only going to have to give him like the league minimum would be like $700,000 because all that remaining money is going to be picked up by the Rockies. And again, if you remember, the Rockies traded away their star, Troy Tolowitzki to Toronto, and they only took Reyes to offset some of the salary. So they're going to be paying Reyes uh, close to about, what is it, $40, $50 million over the span of the next couple years. So nobody's going to take him off of waivers because that would just be crazy. Uh, So, again, if you sign him, you're signing him for next to nothing. You're giving him peanuts, and right now the Mets could use him. But, unfortunately, reports out of New York are that the Mets are not interested, and I don't really know who is going to be interested if the Mets are, but more than likely somebody will give him a chance because he was hitting over 300 with two home runs and a bunch of stolen bases in his uh, most recent rehab stint with uh, the Colorado Rockies minor league system. Manager Terry Collins had a little bit of a nostalgic moment. He was reflecting on Rays and right together when they were in their prime years ago. And basically he sounded like a guy who wanted Reyes back. Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a decision above him that they don't want Reyes back there. But what I want to touch on is, why is there a discrepancy between MLB players in domestic violence cases and NFL players in domestic violence cases? Because in NFL, if this was a guy, maybe a, a maybe a tandem running back or wide receiver, they they wouldn't want this guy back on the field if he was suspended for domestic violence. They would say he he doesn't deserve to play. I mean, look at Ray Rice; like he hasn't played a down since what happened in his incident. Yes, all these domestic violence incidents are horrible, but why is it that baseball players are just I wouldn't say just welcome back. There is some scrutiny behind them when they return, but they're not they're not asked to step down and stop playing their career game and just move on to something else, as, as football players are. It's just kind of swept under the rug after a while. Our oldest Chapman came back, and he, he was playing well at one point, and, and people just kind of forgot about it, and you don't hear about it. It's, it's kind of hushed up in the media. I, I just don't understand... The discrepancy there, and there's just no consistency across sports. It, it just seems like NFL players, once once they're accused of something, they're put they're put in the bad cloud. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. I don't know if it goes back to that the thing of you know if you like Chapman can throw the ball 102 miles an hour, you're needed. Whereas even a guy like Jose Reyes, who last year with the Rockies only batted about 259 and 208 play appearances, and uh, he's not needed because the Rockies brought up this kid, Trevor Story, who looks like the next big shortstop, batting 265, but he has 17 home runs. So, again, is it, it's like one of those things where it's, you know, well, we, we could really use you, uh, but, uh, you know, if you're a guy that's over the hill like a Greg Hardy or Ray Rice, then we don't really need you. It's it's uh, it's not a good way of, of doing business, but unfortunately it's what have you done for me lately type of business. And if, you're, if, you, if they can afford to get rid of you, where it seems like the Rockies can – then they do. Uh, now, the Rockies did come out and say that, you know, they're a wholesome family-owned company, the Coors, uh, the Coors family, the beer people. They own they own the, the Rockies' um, uh, Major League Baseball team. So maybe, you know, maybe they're trying to instill some kind of, you know, wholesome family 
uh, spirit? I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely an odd situation. I bet you if Jose Reyes was the uh, 300 hitter stealing 60 bases like he used to, he probably would have been welcomed back with open arms. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, America, sports fans, get it together. If you're going to be outraged about one guy doing it, just because he can he can throw a fastball or hit or hit 25, 30 home runs in a season doesn't change the outlook of what the person did. So talent shouldn't trump trouble. So, again, I say it's a bad president for these kids growing up. They'll say, hey, I can get away with it as long as I can play well at my sport, as long as I can hit a three-pointer, as long as I can throw a fastball, as long as I, I can score touchdowns. I'm good, and we're going to touch on it later, but even O.J. Simpson had some of this in his trial and his, his transgressions off the field. But we'll, we'll touch on that later. We'll get on to more of uh, light news with uh, Pitch's home run derby that's been thrown around. This idea has been thrown around. Actually, Mike brought it up a couple episodes ago, and I may have a different viewpoint on this Pitch's home run derby now that I've been able to sit down and think about it. Think about this, Mike. The Pitcher's obviously want to do this for the fun of the game and we've been on this show talking about make baseball fun again i agree with all of that sure pitchers get what they want out of the deal but what do the teams actually get they they actually get a somewhat of a headache because yeah, if sure. these pitchers go out there and they swing out their shoulder or something happens they get hurt then what happens especially if you're a team that depends on your pitching to take you through the postseason you're going to look at this as like and say do we really need a pitcher's home run derby to sacrifice you know a playoff run I totally agree, and I actually despise the home run derby in general because you you if you watch the home run derby, these guys are trying to jack the ball out. It's not it's not a natural type of swing. They're they're exhausting themselves. They're they're hurting themselves in a sense. And if and just pay attention, watch the guys that get into the home run derby this year, and and watch the amount. And I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it's just a thing that when you watch the game, you know that they slack off so hard in the second half of the season. And and I know there's not there hasn't been any scientific data that can really conclude this but it's just a thing that you can you can sense and players have said it like chris bryant came out yesterday and said i'm never going to do another homer derby in my life because after the homer derby last year i believe he only hit like one or two anyway he it was just uh, the second half of the season was a continuous struggle for him i mean giancarlo stanton the year before even the year that josh hamilton set the major league record i don't remember how many home runs it was at yankee stadium his second half of the year was horrendous because it's just not a natural thing and you're doing it in the middle of the season when people are you know you still got half a season to go you still got and it's the the toughest part of the season especially if you're looking to make the postseason and you're just you're giving out all of this effort for for what for an exhibition and it's the same thing like the pro bowl nobody cares about the pro bowl so it's while it's fun to watch people jack 30 home runs into the upper deck of what is going to be petco stadium this year in san diego what does it mean and that's the thing for these pitchers like you said you if you're if you're clayton kershaw and you're the best pitcher in the world right now why do i want you to try to force the ball over the fence and god forbid hurt an oblique or or pop a disc in your neck like david Wright. i i don't i don't want that that's not what you that's not what you get paid 200 million dollars to do and i realize guys like madison bumgarner and zach grinke and adam wainwright they don't care they you know they're they're players they're getting paid they they just want to have fun and that's cool but there's there's a there's a fine line there that if i'm your employer and this isn't something that's going out and benefiting benefiting my team it's not happening just no not at all yeah, basically, I would say, hey, it, I, I wouldn't want to destroy these players, quote-unquote, fun during the season. But I say this. If you're going to participate in the home run derby and the pitchers home run derby, I need to add something in your contract clause that says if you get hurt doing this, 
then I get to recoup some money or something, some guaranteed cash, because I cannot afford to have you get hurt, and then my job or my general manager's job is on the line. Yeah. I mean, maybe we can do, like, a home run derby on the PlayStation 4 MLB The Show 16. Like, you know, we can have some fun with that. Or we can do, like, a wiffle ball tournament, which would be kind of cool. Like, uh, Rock and Jock back in the day on MTV kind of thing. But it's just uh, it's just not it's not something that I think is going to happen. And it's I guess it's cool that MLB even kind of broached this topic of an all-pitcher home run derby. But unless you're going to, like, unless a position player, like, tell me Bryce Harper's going to go out there and throw the BP. Like, you got to, let's make it somewhat even on all sides of the of the ball. It's just just not a situation that I see happening anytime soon, even though I think it'd be super cool. I just don't think it's in the benefit of, of the teams and the owners. And, of course, it's if this any sport is going to benefit the owners before it's going to benefit the players, way before it's going to benefit the fans. Yeah, just let's say goodbye. As Mike said, pick up a PlayStation controller, pick up an Absolutely. Xbox controller. Just do it. Do it online. Yeah. Guys are that competitive. Got your, got your competitive juices flowing during the break. Do it online. You don't need to throw away your season. You don't need to throw away your team's postseason dreams by just having fun. Let's have fun, but let's do it within responsible reason, okay? Mm-hmm. But uh, moving on to NFL news, back I'm going to get back on the player side in this. Muhammad Wilkinson spoke out today about his frustration with the Jets. With, general, with the general manager saying, he basically said, I feel like the Jets don't want me. And it's because he's been trying to get an extension, a new contract from the Jets. Over the past two years, he tried it with John Idzik uh, two years ago. He's been trying it over the offseason, and he's basically got the cold shoulder from Mike McGagan. And it doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. Fletcher Cox of the Philadelphia Eagles just got paid $103 million, $63 million guaranteed. So Wilkinson already said that he feels that he's better than Fletcher Cox. He didn't mean it in a disrespectful manner, but basically he said, I've earned every dollar that I get over $100 million. And the Jets, right now, they have about, I believe, $3 million, you know, under the cap, and they still have to figure out they're going to pay Ryan Fitzpatrick. So it's, it's basically looking as, as if Wilkinson will be playing elsewhere after he eventually signs his franchise tag, which will keep him on contract with the Jets for just a year, and then he'll be able to sign a new deal. Actually, wait a minute. The Jets will actually be able to franchise tag him again, but it'll cost more. But most likely, he'll he'll wind up playing with a new team after the season is over. I feel bad for Mo Wilkinson because he's right. He's earned every dollar he gets, over $100 million. He's been He's arguably the Jets' best defensive player. And the Jets have also come out and said that they value Sheldon Richardson as a more irreplaceable player, which I don't agree with. This guy got in trouble off the field, I believe, months before they even made the statement. And I'm looking at this like, can I trust Richardson with all this money after he got paid on the road or if he has a gun or if he has a paraphernalia on him? Wilkinson hasn't been in, it, in any trouble and he's been productive. Pay the man. Yeah, I mean, he's, according, compared to Fletcher Cox, over the last four seasons, 33 and a half sacks to, to Cox's 22. He's got 14 batted passes to Cox's five, and he's got eight forced fumbles to Cox's five as well. So obviously the numbers are there, but we also know that the Eagles kind of give money out frivolously these days. They're, they're just giving money out to, to whomever, and I think if Mo put on a, a pair of uh, shoulder pads and a helmet, we got ourselves a punter. So, I mean, it's honestly, it's kind of crazy, but again, the Jets can't afford to necessarily give the money, and I know it's all about gimme, 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 let's get paid, but right now with the situation that the Jets are in, it's just bad timing. So, if I were Mo, 
play out the way you got to play. And I don't mean you, Mo. I mean Mohamed Wilkerson. I play out the season. And again, see what happens. But it's because it, it's not like you're not going to get a chunk of change. And I understand it's football and, and any given play, your career could be short, cut short. But it just is what it is right now. It's just there's, there's not a whole lot that can be done. And, and a trade just doesn't look like it's really going to go down. So, uh, yeah, speaking of Eagles, what was the deal with with my favorite player, Carson Wentz, getting locked in the bathroom? Because I'm kind of curious about this. Because actually, I have a conspiracy theory on my own about this. Yes, and we, we spoke, we joked about this yesterday. And they don't really reveal the whole story. All Carson Wentz basically says is that he was locked in a gas station bathroom, and it took someone to have t- power tools basically to get him out. I didn't understand that, and I just poked fun at a couple people on Twitter who really like Carson Wentz and saying, "Well, his bathroom awareness, his field awareness, better be better <laughs> than his gas station bathroom awareness because if it's not, the Eagles have a problem on their hands behind Sam Bradford." Yeah, absolutely. I'm and I'm surprised you didn't ask me about my trip to uh, his homeland to North Dakota. Yeah, you didn't you didn't relay any story, so I assume that you didn't see Carson. Well, maybe he gave you the, the stiff arm. I didn't I see know. him. I didn't see him, but I did have one story because we 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 landed in North Dakota. We actually flew into Chicago and then from Chicago to North Dakota. And if I tell you that it was the smallest plane from like post World War One, I'm not lying <laughs> because it was so scary. Uh, I'm just glad I fell asleep because it was so rickety. But anyway, we land in this international, and I'm doing air quotes. I don't know why, but you can't see it. Uh, international airport, and uh, it looked like uh, like an IHOP had basically expanded. That's pretty much what the size of it was. And I and we're going down the escalator, and there it is. It says, you know, welcome to uh, North Dakota State Country, and it's got a picture of the Buffalo and a picture of Carson Wentz. And I'm, so I'm walking down to my luggage, and I and I and I hear, hey, hey, and I'm like. Is he, t- is he talking to me? And there was literally like four people on the plane. I turn around and he's like, hey, hey, Casey Affleck. And I'm like, what? He's like, hey, you, Casey Affleck. I'm like, I don't, I'm not Casey Affleck. He's like, yeah, you are. You're Ben's brother. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I'm Casey Affleck. He's like, what flight did you come in from? I was like, uh, I came from, from Chicago. He's like, was that by way of Philly? And I'm like, uh, no, I don't, I don't know. It wasn't actually. It was by way of Orlando. And he's like, you're lying to me. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not I'm not lying to you. Why, why would I have to lie? He's like, hey, Casey, I knew you're lying to me. Where is he? And I said, who? who? Where is who? I got word that Carson Wentz was on your plane. And I said, you did. <laughs> I got word he was on the plane. Where is he? And I said, sir, I don't know who you are, but I really wish you would take off that Michael Vick jersey because it's inappropriate here in North Dakota. <laughs> and so he looks at me and he's like, Casey, you suck. You suck, Casey Affleck. You suck. And I said, you know what? There are women and children in this airport right now. Your your language is inappropriate. And he says, you suck, Casey Affleck. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take my luggage and I'm going to walk away. And as I'm walking away, he said, hey, Casey. And I said, yes, Philly fan. He said, can I get your autograph? And I said, no. No, you can't get my autograph. And I walked away and I left him there. So that was that was the extent of my my uh, North Dakota celebrity sighting. I was saving that for you, Mo. Saving it. Oh my gosh! Your your ego. You were both probably slightly frightened, and your ego definitely struck there that he would call you uh, Ben Affleck's. Uh, yeah, little brother. I've heard that. Brother, there. I've heard that too before. So I was like, you know, maybe maybe this is a thing. Maybe maybe I should um, just go around telling people I'm Casey Affleck. 
you gonna try out for the Batman role or something hey, in the near future? I'll play. I'll play movies, Robin. Or? I'll play Robin. It's cool. You know, whatever it takes, my man. You know, I was I was a thespian back in my day. I did live in Los Angeles, so you know. But let's get back. Let's get back to some some other NFL stories. That's not quite as fun. Uh, well, actually, it is quite as fun. Darren McFadden, you know that guy who plays for the Cowboys. He broke his elbow, but no, it wasn't in OTAs. It wasn't getting hit by a pitch from Randy Johnson. It was because he dropped his cell phone. And I don't really understand how this went down. Uh, But word is he had it in his elbow and he tried to catch it with his elbow and tripped over something and landed. Landed square on his elbow and broke it. And it looks like he's going to be out three months. And the possibility is, is that he could miss the first week of the regular season against... The New York Giants. So, um, was it like an iPhone 24 carat cell phone that's worth like 15 G's, or was it like a like a Samsung Galaxy One? Because I'm like totally confused. We actually talked about this a couple, like many episodes ago, about ridiculous sports injuries that don't happen on the field, and this would be one of them. I just want more details. Yeah, I, this seems a little bit sketchy. I think maybe he was doing something he shouldn't have been oh, doing. Yeah, for maybe sure. he was on a bike. Maybe he was on a hoverboard or something. He fell off of it. Yep. Because how often do you hear a guy like destroy his elbow just trying to save a cell phone? I mean, the guy's making millions. You could just buy another one. Yeah, but thanks. I mean, it, it just it doesn't make sense. I think he's covering something up. Maybe the team knows something that we don't know. Sure. But regardless, I, I will acknowledge that people do crazy things for cell phones. A couple of weeks ago, I read a story where a woman hopped onto the train tracks in a New York City subway for her cell phone. Dang. And thankfully, she wasn't hurt. They were able to get her off the tracks in time before the train rolled by. But this woman went onto the track. I mean, just do yourself a favor and back up everything to the cloud. I mean, that's what it's there for, your photos, your contacts. I mean, if you lose a phone, if you, you should have insurance on it. I mean, it's like, what, like an extra eight bucks a month, and then you, know, then you can get like a brand new phone. Honestly, I want to just like throw my phone in the toilet just to get a new phone every couple months. But, I mean, it's, it's strange. I, I do think that this was something else. Maybe he's at a cookout. Maybe he's having a good time. You know, I, who knows? Maybe, maybe he was doing an arm wrestling match and things got a little too heated. Anything is possible with Darren McFadden, but it's unfortunate. Maybe. He had a good year. I have a theory. Oh, okay. Theory, All right. Most conspiracy maybe, theory. Maybe his fiance, girlfriend, and wife was going to look through his phone oh. and he had something in there that he didn't want her to see. Oh. And he dove over the glass table or the chandelier or the china closet and then broke and then messed up his elbow. Hey, that, got, could be, that could be a theory. You right know, there. it's it's very possible. You got to at least give him, uh, give him props for, uh, you know, taking a dive. I don't know. That's just. Um, <laughs> You know, Darren McFadden had a really good year last year, rushed for over 1,000 yards, only had, like, three touchdowns. But regardless, uh, it seemed like maybe his time in Dallas is coming to an end. They drafted Ezekiel Elliott. They went out and signed Alfred. Everybody loves Morris. Uh, so who knows? But it's a good thing they signed Morris now because this guy's not not going to be ready uh, for at least, you know, training camp. I mean, Dallas is probably not even the slightest bit concerned because they said they have a loaded backfield anyway. So they say that whatever this guy did, whether he was trying to save his cell phone or he fell off a hoverboard or he was trying to hide something, we got two other running backs who can play. And whenever he comes back, he'll be back. But um, from sad news on to Snoop News... I don't know if you were listening to his podcast a couple weeks ago, but we we broke news that well, we didn't break news, but we no, we broke it. it. We broke that, it. No, uh, we broke it. It was ours. 
<laughs> that Le'Veon Bell was going to drop a track with Snoop oh, Dogg in the offseason. Oh, boy. And just so happened that Mark Madden of 105.9 The X started a rumor that Le'Veon Bell skipped a drug test, Uh-oh. and he's probably rumored for a suspension in, in the coming days or weeks. Ooh. Now, Bell has came out and said that this is not true, that he never skipped a drug test, and that everything is all good. He's ready to go for week one. What I will say is that when you work with Snoop, you know that there's going to be some marijuana, some smoke, and there's going to be something going on. You're not just laying down the track and leaving Snoop. No. Nah, you got to sit there. you got to chill. you got to vibe with Snoop. And to do that, you need to blow a joint. Snoop a loop. I love uh, I love that movie, Old School. It's fantastic. But uh, like, really, Le'Veon, like you haven't missed enough time the last two years. Like, you want to get hit with a with a with a with a positive drug test? I mean, what? I don't. Obviously, it's a four game suspension. But hasn't he been in trouble before? Like, couldn't this be a year? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what the circumstances are as far as his suspension goes, as far as if he gets caught, what the circumstances are if he skips or if he fails or if it's diluted, what have you. But what he needs to do is now that supposedly the track is done, Stoop has already said the track is dope, and he's he wouldn't have asked Bell to do the track if he didn't think he was a good rapper. You're right. But anyway, um, just just some side context. Snoop is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and if you're gonna get anyone to rap, I guess it would be Le'Veon Bell because you're gonna ask Ben Roethlisberger to rap. Yeah. But you you were gonna ask Heath Miller to rap before yeah. he retired. Uh, just. Not gonna happen. You gonna ask Mike Tomlin to rap? Yeah, Mike no. Tomlin. He, cause he, he's the lead singer of the Black Eyed Peas. So I mean, that would have been <laughs> perfect to get just get Fergie, get the Asian guy. I mean, but, they could have been but, sick. But my, I'm, I'm interested to hear this. I want to see how dope this track really is. I want to yeah. see if Le'Veon Bell really has skills because rumor also has it out that Snoop wants to do a track with Damian Lillard. And well, I actually like yeah, Damian Lillard's. You say uh, that. His I think he's pretty good. I've never heard Le'Veon Bell rap in my life, so I'm a little skeptical of this. I just want him on the football field without weed in the system mm. if I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. But that Snoop Damian Lillard track should be Fire. Yeah, fire. fire. As long as it doesn't sound like Iman Shumpert's rap, because if that's the case, then uh, we got yeah, a problem. Yeah. We got a problem. Yeah, Iman, I, I, I know we passed the Cleveland Cavaliers segment in the whole NBA Finals segment, but Iman Shumpert is really just like, I, I don't know what it is. Nick fans cried when this dude left. Yeah, they did. Yeah. When, when Nick's got rid of him. And, I, I and didn't he has not did. shown up. No. Like, Jared Smith hasn't had a great finals either, and I expected him to have a good finals. Yeah, we did. But for the people saying that Iman Shumpert was like the next best defender, two way player. He is not that. He is a bench player at best. Yeah, and another guy with bad knees. So maybe uh, Tom Thibodeau should uh, go out for him. But regardless, that is it for building momentum. We're going to come back with a wrap-up. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of OJ because he hasn't been in the news recently at all enough. But regardless, <laughs> we'll talk OJ. We'll talk the fantastic 30 for 30 documentary. And uh, we'll talk a little narrative action. So stay tuned. Be right back. wrap-up. Well, if you guys have been living under a rock or just uh, mesmerized by the NBA Finals, you haven't heard about the OJ documentary that's been out, ESPN 30 for 30, has a five-part OJ series on basically his life from the beginning when he was playing football as a kid to his USC days, through his time in the NFL, and then through the most known case, the murder of uh, Nicole Brown, his uh, ex-wife. 
And we're up to part three, I believe. You can watch the whole series on your ESPN app, but I'm the type of guy that likes to space things out and just kind of build up anticipation. So I've watched the first three parts, and there were some interesting things in there about OJ that I didn't know. One thing about his dad, his friend said that they discovered his dad was gay when they, I believe, they came to the house, and his dad answered the door in a robe, and then he opened the door a little more, and there was a guy behind him. And to this day, I, I, I don't know that... If OJ knows the extent of his dad's uh, affairs or not, but uh, his friends knew it, and then uh, his wife knew it, and basically his wife, Nicole Bryant's ex-wife, I should say, she questioned if, uh, did OJ beat her because of his dad's uh, sexual orientation? Of course, that goes unanswered because of she was she was murdered not too long after, and the case followed and what have you. But the overview of sports is OJ... OJ was a sports figure. He started out as, again, a USC grad product, went to the Buffalo Bills, didn't have success right away. It took a little bit. He did have a short stint with the San Francisco 49ers. But he, OJ was a world-known figure because he wasn't just a sports figure. He was also the pitch man for Hertz. I didn't grow up at the time of Hertz, but apparently it was a big company at the time. And he was in a car, and he was pitching. He's running through an airport. He's basically pitching the company. And he has all of this love. And apparently it's from Caucasian people. Now, once the murder happened, his ex-wife, and he's trying to get out or basically prove his innocence, he has a team. You guys probably remember uh, Johnny Cochran and, and the Kardashian. He's the Kardashian's part, part of the lawyer team. And there's another guy, slipped my, his name slipped my mind, but he's part of Cochran's law firm, basically. And they tried to make OJ into a sympathetic figure to black people. Now, why did they do this? Because the jury that, that was presiding over the case, eight of them were black, two of them were Hispanic. But basically what the law, what his lawyers did, his defense team, in the middle of the, I guess, when all the evidence is being presented, and this is where they left off with part three, basically the law firm went to his house, saw that he had a bunch of pictures around his home. OJ was very self-centered, so he had a lot of his own pictures hanging around. But he was with white people, and literally all his pictures. There was no sign of, of him having African-American friends. Now, I will say that he there were two of OJ's African-American friends in the documentary. So he did have African-American friends, but they weren't prominent around, around his circle when he hung out with people, his stature. So the law firm, his defense team, basically took pictures of every picture that he ever taken with an African-American and posted it around his house so that when evidence was presented, it made him look sympathetic to black people. Now, people say often you shouldn't mix sports and politics and race together, and I'm here to tell you that it's intertwined whether you like it or not. Because lawyers on both sides said, well, the prosecutor said that they were afraid that people would see O.J. Simpson as a successful athlete, and they wouldn't prosecute because they would say, well, how can this successful athlete do such a horrible thing? How could he murder his ex-wife? And, and the prosecution said, well, we need, we need a diverse jury. They didn't get that because the case apparently was going to span six months. And the amount of people who were willing to take off their take off jobs and, and basically forfeit income to sit on this case, it just there weren't just a lot of people. Most of the people that were willing to sit on this case were unemployed on the lower side of the economic spectrum. So again, the case case starts, and there are eight black jurors, and OJ is now becoming this sympathetic African American figure after he basically kind of shunned African Americans for the beginning of his life, all through his career. 
again, he associated with Caucasian. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not against mingling with other races. I do a show with Mike, who's Italian. We said that a million times. I don't have a problem with going outside your race to communicate with people because we live in a melting pot. This, this world is for everyone to work together, no matter your skin color, race, background, whatever. But OJ, I remember there was one specific jarring moment in the documentary where OJ is being taken away. If you remember the whole Bronco chase, if you're a Knicks fan, you remember this because it interrupted basically the Knicks game against the Rockets. You remember the Bronco chase, and it ended with OJ going back to his mansion in Brentwood, and as he sur- he surrenders to the police at night, and then they put him in the car, they drive him away, and he's looking out of the window, and he says, what are all these Negroes doing in Brentwood? Because Brentwood is this rich community where it's a bunch of rich white people. And basically, he was oblivious to African-American and identifying with African-Americans. When Muhammad Ali went through his, uh, his basically boycotting, not going to the armed forces, and Jim Brown was outspoken about his views in African-Americans and race relations, O.J. Simpson basically said he didn't want any part of it. He said, that this is your fight, I'm going to do me, basically. So he wasn't part of the whole African-American initiative and, and uplifting people and, and fighting up against race relations and, and just discrimination. But then when he's in trouble and he gets on case, he tells his defense lawyers that he looks at the jurors and sees there are eight black people. He goes, well, if these people convict me, maybe I did do the crime. And this is a quote from one of his lawyers on, a, on Cochran's defense team. In OJ's mind, he sees this as okay, I look around the room, I can count the amount of black people, they're going to be on my side. Which is, to me, is despicable because all through his life, he didn't care to count black people. He didn't care to mix with the African-American community. He was all about OJ. He was all about doing him. And then, when he, again, when he gets in trouble, then he's looking around the room and saying, well, I'm, I'm black. These jurors are black. They're going to take my side. I'm in good hands. I'm going to get off. And the defense team, oh, to, to, to their credit, they did a good job in making him that sympathetic African-American figure. Because if you remember, there were a lot of things going on in L.A. at the time. You had the Watts riots. You had the Rodney King beating. There was a shooting that I wasn't aware of, like, of a teenage girl in a, in a store where she was shot by a Korean cashier or store owner. And African-Americans at the time were up in arms. They weren't having it. And cops were getting off for, for beating people and not getting into trouble basically for, for being racist. And discriminating. And then you have OJ here, and he was basically painted as part of this conspiracy between the LAPD and African Americans. And he took complete advantage of that. Again, we're only up to part four. Part four comes out Friday, so they're going to show the duration of the case and how it plays out. But as you know, he's found not guilty. He basically got off. There were some civil suit cases to follow. But all in all, he, he basically got off scot-free. And it's sad to see a guy like O.J. Simpson come up from the ranks. Yes, he built something out of nothing. But he did not care about his people. And then when he gets in trouble, all of a sudden, he's black. He, he always said that he didn't see color. He didn't see himself as... Basically, he didn't see himself as an African-American. He just saw himself as O.J. But the minute he's in hot water, he's this, he's this sympathetic black figure all of a sudden. And he used the black community... To get himself off, of course, he had a great lawyer team with Johnny Cochran. Those who don't know, Johnny Cochran was great from his younger days. And O.J. hired him, obviously, because he has money to do so. And and the defense team did a great job in portraying him to this conspiracy sympathetic figure. And, he, again, he got off. It's, it's sad to see that. Stephen A. Smith of ESPN basically straight up called O.J. a sellout. And he also said if he was on that prosecution team, there's no way with all the evidence that O.J. would get off. 
And one of the lawyers on Conquer's firm said, with all respect to Stephen A. Smith, it's the least intelligent thing he said. This is on TMZ Sports. And I agree. Uh, Stephen A. Smith is a great guy to argue about sports, but when it comes to legal stuff, it's a very shady business. And, and the, leave it to the pros when it comes to that. I won't, I won't divulge an opinion on whether I think OJ did it or not because I wasn't there, so I'm not equipped to give an opinion. I don't even have all access to the evidence. But what I will say is it's sad to see that people trying to separate sports, politics, and race when there's no other way around it. You try to, you can try to say, oh, I don't see color. I don't, I don't you know, separate. But we all look into a room. We all, at one point, have judged other people based on race, color, or ethnicity, or political background. And it happens, and some people just happen to take advantage. It's sad to see a guy like OJ do it with his stature. But it's an amazing documentary. I advise you to check it out. Again, part four is on Friday. You can see all five parts on the ESPN app. It'll show you everything from OJ's beginnings to, again, the African-American relations with LAPD and how things were corrupt and how things were, people were being treated in the 70s and even the 80s. And it takes you through the case of the O.J. Simpson, Nicole Brown murder. And you can have an opinion for yourself. Yeah, as far as the, uh, the the documentary itself, 30 for 30, just another fantastic job. This was a, a, a pretty different one because it was a, a multi-part you know part. Uh, documentary almost a mini series in terms but yeah they're just really well done and and, you know tackling such a such a controversial subject regardless of what you think the outcome should have been it's very uh you know such a a well done documentary such a an engaging story there's so much about it you know uh, for me again same thing i remember i remember being in my room watching the Knicks game and and on tv came the white bronco chase and there's just so much you find out and you know i even watched uh i watched the the made for tv uh (laughs) uh, movie series with cuba gooding jr that that was on a couple months back and it was really good and again you just find out so many other details of this entire story and you know it's it's crazy to think you know yeah um just a quick correction that that lawyer that spoke out about Stephen Smith his name is Carl Douglas and he he's pretty flamboyant with his uh his speeches and when he talks he was probably a focal point in uh Johnny Cochran's law law defense team and he he was very outspoken about how the OJ case went down and basically my point about this wrap-up is it's hard to change people's narratives. And once a person becomes a, a figure, a public figure, even in sports, it kind of transcends color. You, In some cases, you see that color. In some cases, you don't. When you look at Cam Newton and he's dancing in the end zone, all of a sudden, we see color. When another guy does it, it we don't. You know, I spoke earlier about the domestic violence cases. In some sports, we see certain things and we, and we try to punish it to the nth extent. And in other cases, we don't. So we all come in with these preconceived notions, these prejudices, these biases toward people. But when it comes to a serious case such as a murder or serious instances that like what happened in Orlando as we started the show, try to leave your biases behind and look at the situation and put your put yourself in the victim's or the victim's family's shoes and what what's going on with their families, with, with the person grieving. Because at the end of the day, we, we have to simplify things and look at situations for what they are and not just say, okay, public figure, he has to be good. Oh, LGBTQ community, I don't agree with it, has to be bad, so I don't care. We just cannot take these small things, these small qualities, and separate them and then blow it up and then make our decision based off that. Let's go off facts, let's be compassionate, and make decisions accordingly. 
absolutely. It's uh, it's wise words from a wise man, and um, it's the truth. We can only uh, we can only put into action what we what we set our mind to, and then actually do. So let's hope that you know everybody can take a little bit of uh, of something that they that they heard today on this show and and put it into action because that's what we need, and especially at a time like this. And of course, like we said in the beginning of the show, uh, June twenty second, it's going to be uh, Wednesday night, seven p.m. If you're in the Orlando area or anywhere close by, come out to Tassar Lounge. It's uh, 101 South Eola Drive, Orlando, Florida. Uh, Google it. Check it out. MapQuest it. Whatever you got to do. But uh, come out for a, just a fantastic event. Uh, again, we we are going to be celebrating uh, the victims, the victims' families, everybody that needs, that is coming together for the city, beautiful city of Orlando. And uh, it'll be an, it'll be a really special event. So if you're in the area, we, uh, we do hope to see you then. Other than that, Mo, you got something else? What, what, one question, Mike. Yeah. Why are you are you not blessing the people of Orlando with your voice in this concert? Why not? What's, what's, um, why not? Well, one because I wasn't invited to, uh, and um, <laughs> you know, uh, my my singing days are behind me. They're not quite as uh, prevalent as uh, as my sister. You know, she is, uh, and it's still, and you know, she's in the in the. Uh, in the, the music world, in the industry, and, you know, she's worked with some pretty big-name producers and, and other artists, so, you know, she's uh, thoroughly enjoying her, her climb to fame once again, and um, I am using my talents for this show and uh, a couple of other, uh, you know, entrepreneurial exercises, but, uh, yeah, I will be there to support. I'll Maybe maybe we'll talk about it on the show next week. I'll do a little... Uh, little video capture and uh yeah it'll be fun you know just using our talents where we see fit these days that's for sure just a quick note mike comes from a very talented family oh, thank he's, you he's now on this sports show to annoy me uh-huh, and so totally. using a lot of his talents but um you guys can pick it up by just the way he speaks on the mic and if you've been reading empire rights back these articles for yankees mets and now he's the editor for magic daily very talented writer as well. Oh, I do appreciate that, and you know, doing a show like this with Mo, who's uh, you know well versed in so many things, and but so passionate about what we do and talk about sports, and it's just uh, we hope that you enjoy it as much as we enjoy doing it because uh, that's what we're doing it for. You know, have fun, talk sports, take your mind off of some of the crazy things that are going on in the world, and at the end of the day, just uh, just make things better. And if that's a message we get through to you guys, then sweet. If not, then. Um, I don't know, listen to NPR. I don't know what else to tell you. But other than that, that is it for episode 18. Of course, you can go on uh, Facebook.com slash Mike and Mo Show. Twitter, the handle is Mike Mo Show. iTunes, of course, go to the uh, podcast section, type in Mike and Mo Show. It's under Mentality Media. And listen to all 18 episodes, which are still free uh, for a limited time only. And by that, I mean forever. So uh, go, go on, download them, share them with your friends. And uh, if you know anybody at ESPN, tell them that we should be their new hit show. Other than that, I am Mike Kizmo. And uh, hey, Thanks for listening, as always. We can't wait to do it again next week. And, uh, Mo, anything else before we sign off? The next time we get on air next Thursday and you hit the podcast Friday, we'll be talking about who the NBA champions are because the playoff series will conclude either way, even if it does go to a Game 7 on Father's Day. That will be Game 7 if necessary. We'll, we'll actually do the show on the day of the draft, so we'll give you Ooh, our yeah. old predictions of what's going on with draft prospects. And we'll be a week, basically a week away from NBA free agency, so a lot of fun times ahead, so stay tuned for that. Good stuff. We'll see how many more people on the Mets will get hurt. Until <laughs> next week, this is the Mike and Mo Show brought to you by Mike and Mo. Everybody have a wonderful week. Stay safe. We'll talk to you then.